So I want to, we're going through a series on what we're calling spiritual basics. And so I'm going to give you uh, some stuff that I have to credit a friend of mine by the name of Doug Wentz. Um, I did an interview with him a while back on my YouTube channel. He has his own YouTube channel. Um, you can Google him and find him, or put, I mean put him in the YouTube search and find him. Uh, and I would recommend that you do that. He's got some really good stuff. So some of what I'm going to share I have to credit Doug completely with. Um, and I think it'll set you free and I think it'll explain a lot, but it'll definitely go against the grain, maybe as much as anything that you've heard. So just saying. So to kind of get this going, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, but I'm going to try to do it in as interesting way as possible. Let's start in Proverbs chapter 4. This was a life passage for me for a long time. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. Uh, the writer of Proverbs here giving advice. He says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they, the words themselves, are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues, or one translation says, the forces of life. So I want you to get used to this idea that you are generating a spiritual force field. Or that spiritual forces are flowing forth from your life. Jesus said it this way, if you believe in me, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, right? The writer of Proverbs is saying the same thing, that you're, the, the spiritual forces are flowing from you. You could call that, some people would call that your auric field. Now, before you get upset about the word aura and think it's just new age, you need to understand that the person who coined it was a Catholic priest. So it comes out, uh, who came up with that term? So it comes out of uh, a Christian tradition. Whether you agree with that tradition or not does not change the facts. It is not a new age, at least in origin term. All right. So it's simply recognizing that you have a spiritual body or spiritual bodies, right? If it, I mean, if, if you're a good Christian, you believe that after this body dies, something lives on, right? <laughs> it has to be made of something, energy, consciousness, something. And so you have that light body, that etheric body, or we're going to call it your auric body, that is... Uh, related to these spiritual forces that are flowing out from you. Is that okay? And these spiritual forces, according to Proverbs, are energized by the words that you listen to and keep in the midst of your heart. Jesus said it in John chapter 6, somewhere in John chapter 6, I'll let you find it because I don't want to keep turning pages. He says somewhere in John chapter 6, my words are spirit and they are Life, right? Now the context of this is important because in the context of this, he's telling them previous to stating that, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life, will have life inside of them. Whoever does not eat my flesh and does not drink my blood does not have eternal life. And they freak out because they think he's talking about cannibalism. <laughs> and they get offended. And even Jesus' disciples get offended at him. And they come to him and he says, listen, the flesh profits you nothing. 
He says, but my words, they are spirit and they are life. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, when you take my words as, as your rabbi, as your teacher, as your leader, when you take my words and you devour them and you digest them and you make them your life, then guess what? Your auric field is going to take on the vibrational frequency of Jesus, spirit and life, right? Now with that in mind, let's look at Mark chapter 4. Parable of the sower. Again, I don't want to get too bogged down in scripture because I want to look at a number of different things. But Jesus tells a story about a sower, a planter, a farmer who goes out and plants seed. And he gives us four different types of ground. He says there's some that falls by the wayside, just kind of spills out of the bag, and the birds of the air come and devour it. Some falls on the stony ground, and when the sun comes up, it it, it sprouts, Right? Uh, kind of like if you ever did those experiments in, in elementary school or with your kids where you took beans or whatever and you put it on a wet paper towel and you let it sprout, right? It sprouts, but it says the sun comes up and withers away because it has no depth of earth, right? The third one falls what? Among thorns. And he says it sprouts, it starts to grow up, but the thorns come and choke it and it does not bear fruit. And then finally he says the fourth type of ground is good ground. Some seed fell on good ground. And he says these are, uh, 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 grew up and, and, you know, first the corn, then the ear, all that stuff. And, and bore fruit, right? So then when we get to about verse 14, or verse 13, he says to his disciples, I'm sorry, but let's do verse 10. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And then he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. The mystery. Not a mystery, not mysteries. This is the mystery. This is the secret. This is the key to all of it. <laughs> Got it? The kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins should be forgiven them. In other words, if the words don't penetrate to the level of perception and heart level, they don't become part of your energetic field. And you can't get the results from it. And then he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? So basically he's saying, if you don't get this, forget it. So that's why this is spiritual basics. The sower sows the word. Notice he didn't say, I sow the word. He says, the sower. The sower can be anybody. Just, you see it? The sower sows the word. The ones, uh, these are the ones on the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So the ground is the heart. Right? The birds represent Satan. The seed getting gobbled up doesn't bear fruit. These likewise are one sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness. It starts the joy, uh, the power of it starts to get into their life. But they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, and some a hundred. And he also said, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lamp stand? 
For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor anything that has been secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Watch this. This is the principle I want to get at. Verse 24. Take heed what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And to those of you who hear, more will be given. Whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. So with the measure you use, take heed how you hear. Take heed what you hear. Why? With the measure you measure out, that same exact measure is going to come back to you. Now, here's the important thing. The word here in the Greek, in the parable, has nothing to do with Jesus dying for your sins. It has nothing to do with the gospel. Jesus didn't say they hear the gospel. He talked about the gospel. He doesn't use the word evangelion for the word gospel. It's the very generic word for hear. He doesn't say that he's the sower. He doesn't give the sower any identity except that he's planting seed. Right? The important part, the focus of the parable is upon what? The ground, the soil, the type of soil that it is, or the heart. Now I want you to watch this. You have the masculine principle... Of the sower. You have the feminine principle of the heart. This works on multiple levels. So right now, I'm functioning as a sower. In the context of the parable, then all (laughs) y'all are functioning as soil. Whatever I'm saying, whatever I'm saying... The words coming out of my mouth is the seeds. There you go. If you're reading the the scriptures for yourself, whoever wrote the scripture, whatever book you're reading, is functioning as the sower. And when you're in that receptive posture, you are the soil. Soil. (laughs) Let's do it this way. The principle of the conscious mind is masculine because it can choose. It can introduce new ideas. It can shift attention. You can shift attention consciously. You can stop listening to me and get on your phone and start reading whatever you want. You want. Speaking of phones. Yeah, thank you. Perfect sign. Perfect sign. Right? That's your conscious mind that makes that decision. But then you can be sowing from your conscious mind into the subconscious mind, which is the feminine principle, which receives in order to embody and bear fruit. You you see how all this works. And then whatever your light is shining, that's your light body. That's your energetic body. And everybody has an energetic body and everybody has an energetic charge, an auric field based on whatever you have put in your heart. And whatever you measure out is going to come back to you. And even more. So you determine, you determine how your spiritual being in this earth gets charged by the words that you listen to. It's not just Jesus' words that are spirit and life. The words themselves being spirit and life is a principle. It is a foundational basic principle of the spiritual world. See it in the Bible. In the beginning, God, you know, was hovering over darkness. What did He do? God said, let there be light. And there was light. Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. And all the story, starry hosts them by the breath of His mouth. 
Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which were visible. <laughs> so God framed the world, the universe, the worlds with his word. So the energy of words, the, the sound and the substance that you put into it with thought, the substance that you put into it with emotion energizes that vibration and has an effect on everything because it's functioning at the level of creation and order that God put in place for himself. So in a very real way, in the way that God framed his world, you and I being made in the image of God frame our world with the words, not just that we speak. See, back in the day it was, oh, the, the words that you speak and you ought not say, you know, that you were sick or you ought not, not, not say that you were having a bad day or because <laughs> somehow you're going to bring that to pass in your life. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about charging your energetic field through a process of what you have received in your heart. And I've got news for every single one of you. We all fit into all four of those grounds depending on what we're listening to. If we don't like it and we don't give attention to it, it's going to get gobbled up. That's why I feel, I don't know why am I saying this. Feel free to watch a horror movie. Just don't nurture the seed. If you want to watch it and get scared and get a release and you enjoy that kind of stuff, fine. That seed that falls by the wayside. It's not going to destroy your life or open a portal in your home for the gates of hell to invade. You know, Beliel or Beelzebub or whoever you want, Abaddon or whoever has better things to do than come into your home because you watch The Exorcist or The Shining. You understand what I'm saying? It falls by the wayside. You get it? But the things that you that you love, the things that you desire, the things that you put emotion into, those are the things that your heart is wrapping around. And those are the things that are getting past the gates of your perception into the level of your spiritual body, charging up your spiritual body, creating your spiritual energy that then interacts at the unseen realm with the world around you in order to attract into your life or bring back into your life what you've measured out. Are you breathing? Now... This is really important to understand when it comes to religious things, and you won't, you won't be able to understand your Bible. And this, this is going to clear up so much for you. And this is where my friend Doug helped me. This is going to clear up so much for you, I think. Because the way that you hear the voice of God in your life, the way that you determine what God is, who God is, and your spiritual reality, is determined on the energy in your auric field. So here's the problem. Here's the problem. That's why Jesus said, whatever you measure out, it'll be measured back. And to him who has, more will be given. Right? To him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So to him who has, more will be given. So here's the point. If you accept religious truth as absolute spiritual truth, as you're doing that, you are building a spiritual house that you have to live in. Makes sense. Right? And so whenever God speaks, He's going to speak 
in congruence with your house. Because, okay, so if, if I energize my, okay, so if I believe that I'm evil, that my heart is evil, that my desires are evil, that my actions are evil, that I'm rotten to the core, because there's Christian teaching around that, and I feed on that, and I hear that week after week after week after week, and I open up my heart and I say, yes, this is true, guess what? The energy of that is getting into your auric field. So pretty soon, you end up, what? Measuring out shame, measuring out guilt, measuring out self-doubt. And guess what? That keeps getting confirmed back to you. What? As the voice of God. Oh, Aaron, you, your, heart, your heart is filthy and wicked. Oh, Aaron, you need to spend time repenting. And you can fill prayer journals full of, this is what God is saying to me. Because that's the spiritual house that you've built. And God's not going to come into your house. See, see, God honors free will. So, so the Spirit of God is not just going to come into your house and tear it down. <laughs> and tear it up. That would be disrespectful. That would be violating His own principles and His own laws. So, okay, this is how it works in your house. I'm in your house. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come into him and what? Sup with him. He says, I'm coming in as a guest. You did not come in as a guest and take over. You, 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 you get it? The other thing is, whatever you've charged your energy field with feels so true that whenever it's challenged... Anything that you hear that challenges that now is beating down, is, is coming into direct dissonance, let's put it that way, with your auric field. And when it comes into dissonance with your auric field, you assume that it's wrong. And you reinforce what you believed before by going back and eating the words that you ate before. To salve your own doubts. Why? So that you can maintain the stability of your own energetic field. Real growth, real change, and real transformation cannot happen without dissonance. It cannot happen without a different vibration, taking heed what you hear, a different vibration coming in and changing the internal structure of your house, changing the internal structure of your belief system, so that now you're measuring out something different. And the moment you begin to measure out something different, you begin to receive something back, but don't think that you can just cleanse the energy of your aura because you had an insight. <laughs> Or reprogram your subconscious mind because you heard something different and you got it. You can be like the seed that was planted by the wayside. So see, watch how this happens. Uh, I'm sorry, in the stony ground, watch how this happens. See, I'm going along with my energetic patterns, which means I'm attracting people into my life that will confirm my beliefs.
if you believe that you are a worthless person, that nobody can love you, and that you will always be rejected, you will give that out, energy out, and the universe will meet that energy, and God will meet that energy, and honor that energy, and God will send you people that will treat you like crap, stomp all over you, to confirm what you're giving out. That's absolutely the truth. Say, well, that doesn't sound fair. Well, fair or not. Right? So you are going to bring to yourself vibrational matches. The moment you get a new idea and you receive it in your heart and you say, oh, this is going to set me free. This is going to empower me. This is really going to help me. And you run out and start telling folk. Or you go out and act on it before it's become built into your spiritual house. All you are is the stony ground that immediately receives it with joy. And then as soon as the persecution and affliction starts, why? Because, oh, you've disrupted the vibrational pattern. We're feeling the shockwaves. We're feeling the dissonance. You must be from the devil. <laughs> you must be a deceiver. You might, you, whoa, all that vibration pattern of fear gets, and so what happens? Now you got persecution. Now you got problems. Could you open your mouth too soon, big mouth? <laughs> so what happens? Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. I need to, I mean, I remember when I first did the message on the cross. Now listen, that's why I don't just share stuff until I give it a chance to incubate for a while, because I learned my lesson. <laughs> so I crack up when people are like, you know, you need to do your homework. You have no idea how much homework I've done. That's right. Amen. But I remember when somebody was first challenging me on the cross, and they wanted to go back to penal substitution, which is, is falling out of favor all over the place. That's not even going to be preached in 20 years at all, at all. I, 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 anywhere it's hardly being preached now and I had this pastor call me up who wrote a book on the cross now watch, watch if you're writing a book holy moly you are reproducing you're bearing fruit you get it? I mean you cannot write a book if it's not in your auric field try it sometime 200 pages whatever it was on the cross, all about penal substitution. So he sees my message, you know, the title was, The Cross Will Blow Your Mind. Oh, I want to hear this. Expecting to find resonance, and he found dissonance. <laughs> so what happened? His vibrational field reacted, and he felt like he had a mission from God to warn everybody about this false prophet, Aaron Tomlinson. So I even had friends call me. They, they don't study. They, they barely crack their Bible during the week. But they're a pastor. And so they say, well, brother, we have discovered and we believe that it's at times like these that we just need to humble ourselves. Now, why should I humble myself to your revelation? When I was stuck in your revelation for 20 years, you've listened to the same preachers for 20 years. You haven't stepped one inch outside of your box. All you've listened to is confirming voices. You haven't allowed yourself to be challenged. You haven't wrestled with things. And I've gone through this transformation. Why in the world should I have to listen to you? But that's what happens when, when, it's, when it's on the shallow ground, falls into the stony ground. Then all of a sudden, oh, there's all this uproar. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Let's get back in our little private corner. Why? Because it's easier. 
And it, oh, it feels safe. It feels familiar. It feels, cause why? It's not because it's absolute truth. It's because it's your absolute truth in your spiritual house that you have built and you inhabit. And God honors that when He speaks and when He comes in. Amen. Thank you. Is this making sense to you? Yes. So this is why, this is how you can understand when you were at different levels of your spiritual growth and you experienced the presence of God, the power of God, the anointing, signs and wonders, whatever, uh, fruit of the Spirit, whatever, and then, and then you go through this undeniable transformation and then you find yourself with a different set of beliefs completely contrary to what's over there, but you still feel the presence of God, the power of God, the anointing of God. The fruit of the Spirit. Who's right? It, it's, it's not about who's right. It's about what is the charge? What have you been listening to? And what words have you devoured and assimilated and made part of your spiritual house? And whatever you've devoured and assimilated and made part of your spiritual house is exactly how God is going to come to you. So that real prophetic ministry, real prophetic ministry has absolutely nothing to do with telling people, oh brother, I see the Lord is opening a door in your life and going to take you to the next level. In this season of struggle that you've been going through, it's about to come to an end. All this general fluff that we do. And it's not even about being able to call a person out by their name or their address. They know their name and their address. They don't need God to tell them. Real prophetic ministry is when you get outside the group consensus, the group paradigm, bringing a new word, bringing a fresh word that shakes the existing thought structures and thought forms and group consensus. See, you'll see it in the Bible. See it in the book of Jeremiah. In the day, in Jeremiah's day, you had all these prophets prophesying peace and prosperity. For the land. Well, they had every right to. Watch this, watch this. Number one, you didn't just become a prophet in Israel because you had some Pentecostal experience and spoke in tongues. Or you went to Bethel's School of the Prophets for a weekend. You went through rigorous training and trials and testing in the School of the Prophets and you had to be consistently deemed as accurate to speak as a prophet in Israel. So the prophets in Israel who have been trained to see, who have been trained to know the Spirit of God, who have been confirmed by other prophets, who have lineage from other prophets, the sons of the prophets, lineage, inheritance, Samuel started it, Elijah and Elisha were in it. Uh, the school of the prophets was so powerful that when Saul encountered them, even when his heart was hardened towards God, he fell on the ground and began to prophesy. They're prophesying that Israel is going to be completely safe from a Babylonian invasion. Not only because they're prophesying by the Spirit, but because they had just experienced the greatest transformational revival according to the law, according to the written word, that they had ever known. It's everything your evangelical friends are praying for. Everything. Josiah comes in tears down all these altars, gets rid of all this Baal worship, all this Asherah worship, reads the Word of God. The whole nation says we repent. They celebrate Passover for the first time. They come back to the law of Moses. 
And Jeremiah stands up and says, the Lord has rejected you. And Babylon is going to come in and destroy you. So what was Jeremiah? Jeremiah was a prophetic voice who was speaking outside the context of the paradigm of the scriptures and the other prophets of his day. (coughs) Think about it. And so they tried to get rid of Jeremiah. They kept listening to these prophets. And what happened? The future that Jeremiah saw was the future that came upon Israel. So God had to raise someone up outside the paradigm that could hear it, that had ears to hear. Jesus comes along. Now, you got to understand the Pharisees. Who, who, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were, they were people of the book. They were dedicated to God. These weren't people who were just listening to the Scripture. These were people who gave their life to God, who gave their life to Bible study, who were devoted to spirituality, who would travel heaven and earth or go all over the world just for one convert. I mean, think about that person today in an evangelical perspective. This person is in church, this person is reading their Bible, and this person is willing to go into the 1040 window and risk his life. You know what the 1040 window is, right? The Islamic... uh, geographical reason region go in there risk his life for one convert does that person love god yes. is that person devoted yes. is that person radical yes. those are your pharisees paul says in philippians chapter 3 that according to the law he was blameless this is somebody that wasn't just hearing the word this is somebody who was wow. doing the word Right, but it's the scriptures. We say law, it's their scriptures. According to their scriptures, he's blameless. So this isn't somebody that's just hearing it and lukewarm. This is somebody that's applying it to their life, keeping it in the midst of their heart, charging his energetic field. You got it? And Jesus comes in and messes the whole thing up. And he acts like Jeremiah. He says, you're expecting Messiah to come and, and destroy the Romans. I'm telling you that false messiahs will come and that Rome will come and level Jerusalem to the ground. You've heard it said this, but I say to you this. And Jesus goes around violating the Sabbath. He goes around violating the dietary laws. Yep. Yep. He goes around telling them, you're of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He's coming from a completely different place. Violating scripture left and right. Can you see it? Now Paul, let's just, let's just, we'll kind of close this up with Paul. Paul, who was Paul before he became Paul? He was Saul of Tarsus. Now Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee who sat in the school of Gamaliel who was devoutly, devoutly devoted and committed to the Scriptures. And they could read, they they saw this Jesus movement going on, and they could read in the book of Deuteronomy all the stuff that Jesus is doing wrong. For one thing, He died on a tree. He died on a cross, but a cross was a tree. It was made of wood. And in Deuteronomy 21, it says, Cursed of God is anyone who dies on a tree. If any prophet comes and leads you away from the teachings of the Torah, let him be accursed. 
And so here they believe Jesus is this Jesus group, this group of Christians is leading people away from the Torah. So he's going out and what? He's persecuting them. What happens? He meets Jesus, right? He meets Jesus and he writes, uh, you know, he goes to Gentiles and he starts planting churches and all this stuff. Right? Now, I'm going to show you some things because here's what we got. Here's what I hope you'll see, if nothing else. Please let these guys be human beings. Please, for the love of God. They, they didn't glow like the movies show you. They didn't suddenly become next to Christ in perfection because they believed in Jesus any more than you or I became next to Christ because we believed in Jesus. And if you understand your Bible and how it really works and how you really got it instead of this mythology that we try to tell people that somehow God dictated it, the Holy Spirit somehow arranged this whole elaborate scheme. I mean, think about the elaborate scheme that God had to arrange. Move through six, you know, what, 40 different writers and 66 different books or something like that. And then had to make sure that a corrupt Catholic church in the 4th century picked all the right books. And gave it to you, and somehow you sit there and think he authored it from page one, like God sat down in the beginning. I, oh wait, I'm writing it to him. I better say God created the heavens and the earth, and then just went through all the different books until he got to the book of Revelation. So if there's no disagreement, there's no inconsistencies, there's no contradictions. Come on. Bullshit. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure the PG rating was appropriate to the audience. I gave you one. So, so Jesus in Matthew, let, let me just show you a couple places. Jesus in Matthew, in Luke's gospel, they, they, they say he's a friend. Watch this. He's a friend of sinners and he eats with tax collectors and prostitutes. Yeah? He eats with tax collectors and prostitutes. What does Paul say? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11, he says, if there's anyone among you who is a sexually immoral person, have nothing to do with them, and with such a one, don't even eat. Well, Jesus wasn't being a very good disciple of Paul then, was he? See, you, you got it. When you read the book of Acts, you can see that some of Paul's religious zeal and and is still there. It's still there inside of him. Right? But these guys didn't get along. They had competing visions. Listen to me. The disciples of Jesus, some of them, particularly the church in Jerusalem, and the apostle Paul had competing visions of who Jesus was, what the gospel was, and what their mission was. You want to see it in scripture? No. It causes me too much dissonance. Um, come with me to First uh, Corinthians. I'm sorry, Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians eleven. Watch this. Now, Jesus, when the disciples, watch this again. When the disciples saw someone preaching in the name of Jesus doing signs and wonders in the name of Jesus, 
And they said, we forbade him. And what did Jesus say? He said, don't forbid him. Whoever's not against me is for me. No one could do a miracle in my name and then lightly speak evil of me in the next sentence. So just let them do their thing. Leave them alone, right? Listen to Paul here. <laughs> verse, verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. <laughs> Now he goes on later, we'll look at it. I thought it was here, but we'll look at it later. He says, let that person be accursed. <laughs> so Jesus said, leave him alone. Paul said, let him be cursed. Right. Well, you guys look like you're in pain. <laughs> like seriously, like your faces, you look like you're in pain. Now watch this. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Stop the train. Who is Paul referring to when he says the most eminent apostles? Guys, he's a contemporary of the disciples of Jesus. That how many people were going around claiming to be apostles of Christ? For Christ's sake, it wasn't the 21st century where everybody's got apostle on their business card. How many people were going around claiming to be apostles of Christ? They were losing their life. He's going to go through and tell you what happens to you when you claim to be an apostle of Christ. It wasn't big ministries and networks and spiritual sons. It was beatings and torture. And So how many people are going around claiming to be a disciple, apostles of Jesus? Then who are the imminent ones? Come on, thank you. Peter, John, James. Is that a stretch? Look what he says about him. <laughs> he, he goes on, he says, Did I commit sin, uh, humbling myself, that you might be exalted because I preach the gospel to you free of charge? Uh, he goes on in verse 9, When I was present with you, uh, I don't want to go into all that. Verse 10, As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from boasting in the regions of Acacia. Why? Because I do not, uh, because I do not love you, God knows, but what I do I will continue to do now watch this. Then I may cut off opportunity from those who desire opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which we boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Who's he talking about? I just told you. Therefore, is it a great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works? I say again, let no one think of me as a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me a fool, that I may boast a little. He goes into all this kind of stuff. So he's still talking about these eminent apostles. And he says, verse 22, verse 22, watch this. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Watch this. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. He goes through all this stuff to say, look, this, this is what makes me the preeminent apostle. Jesus appeared to me after his resurrection. These fools just walked around with him when he was in his body. 
Because I'm being so radical. I've got the right message. Because who in their right mind would be as radical as I am and put up with all this? Because a lot of that, he said, at the hands of the Jews. I guarantee you, (laughs) some of those other apostles were not experiencing that at the hand of the Jews because they were keeping the customs of the law. They were staying within the paradigm. But look, he called them false apostles. So you, th- you take that verse in your 21st century context and you apply it to somebody like myself. Oh, <laughs> false apostle. Satan transforms himself into a minister, into a minister of light, right? And you say, he's talking about some end time thing. He's not talking about some end time thing. He's talking about the disciples that were imminent right after the death of Jesus. Who he calls Hebrews, the seed of Abraham, and apostles of Christ. You have, it's clear and easy to see, and you have no problem with it if you let them be human beings. Alright, I'm almost done. Thank you for being so patient. Look in Galatians. I'll show it to you one more time. And then we'll kind of try to bring this thing home. Where's Galatians? Right after 2 Corinthians. I went the wrong direction. Now watch this. This is where he says, uh, verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what he has received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from a man, nor was I taught it, but it came through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries and my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of the fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And then he he goes through this this whole thing. He said, they didn't know anything about me. What apostles is he talking about? The ones who walk with Jesus. He said, they didn't know anything about me except that I persecuted the faith and now I was preaching. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation. Reputable apostles. Where? In Jerusalem. Who are we talking about? Thank you. Can you see it? Yet not even Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. 
to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows no personal favoritism to no man. Why does he have to belabor this point? Because he's saying, yeah, I know they walk with Jesus, but God doesn't show any favoritism. Can you see it? If they were just some Johnny-come-lately, he wouldn't have to do all that. For those who seemed to be something, those who seemed to be something, added nothing to me. Who's he talking about? It's easy to see. He's talking about James. He's talking about Peter. He's talking about John. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision had been committed to me, as the gospel of the circumcised was to Peter, which is baloney, another place where I can say BS, because he was the one that went to the Gentiles in the first place. All right. For he who worked effectively in Peter for apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively toward the Gentiles. But when James, Cephas, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, watch this, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, watch this, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away in their hypocrisy. But I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as a Jew, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? So anyway, he says, I rebuked Peter to his face. You see, now we say they offered them the right hand of fellowship, and we think that means they just, they sat, oh, yes, brother. I mean, you can hear the organ music. <laughs> they, they had communion together, they had such love, they had, no, the right hand of fellowship probably means the left foot of fellowship. You can see it in the context. Because it says, yeah, we don't know. We're not too sure about this. But I'll tell you what. You go your way. We'll go ours. He's not saying the right hand of fellowship. Oh, come, let's join together and co- collaborate. Let me support your ministry. I know. You come preach for me three conferences and I'll go preach for you a few conferences. Yeah. They said, this is the left foot of fellowship. You go your way we'll, to the Gentiles. We'll go our way to the Jews. And so who are the ones causing problems in, in the Galatian church? He tells you right there. He says, Peter, Peter came in. I mean, they had serious disagreement about this issue of circumcision. So these people that Paul's calling them false apostles and saying be accursed if they preach another gospel, he's talking about James and John and Peter, who also wrote part of the New Testament. And if you don't think the animosity wasn't the same way, I'll just give you a little teaser, because I'm running out of time. You go in Revelation. Revelation is written how many letters to how many churches? Seven churches, where are they located? Asia Minor. Jesus. John is writing from Jesus letters to the churches in Asia Minor. One of those churches happened to be Ephesus. Where did Paul spend most of his time ministering? Ephesus and Asia Minor. Now we miss something here because John, Jesus, through John, says, Hey guys, I have, you've done great here. So I got some things against you, but you did this right. 
There were those who claimed to be apostles but were not, but did lie, and you recognized them to be false apostles, and you kicked them out. Who was that? Well, if you go to the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy chapter 1, like around verse 15, I think, or 5, one of those, he says, you have heard how all of Asia Minor has turned away from me and rejected me. So John, basically, and Bible scholars will back this up. I mean, you could see it in the text if you know how to look for it, but Bible scholars will back this up. John's Jesus is basically saying Paul's a false apostle. And Paul's Christ is basically saying those other guys are false apostles. And they both say they're speaking from God. And you put them in the same book, and because you think God was up there in heaven writing eternally the Word of God and forever settling it from Genesis to Revelation before it ever came to be, before he ever even said, light be. You can't see it, but if you strip all that away, and you understand they had competing visions, they were competing with each other, they were angry with each other, they were divided, they didn't agree. But God was working with both streams. Why? Because He comes into your house according to your auric field. According to what you've been feeding on. So the question becomes then, what do you want to listen to? What do you want to charge your auric field with? Be aware of this thing. Realize that some of what you feel, oh my God, I don't have peace about that. Oh my God, that can't be God. That, 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 that is your, the energetic response of the words of spirit and life that you have been eating for how many years of your life? And if you want to lose weight, change your diet. If you want to gain weight, change your diet. If you want to build muscle, you eat certain things. If you want to burn fat, you eat certain things. So what do you want in your auric field? If you want somebody telling you how lousy you are and how rotten to the core you are... I can hand out business cards. I can tell you exactly where to go. And they will beat up on you every week and tell you how wrong you are for what you're doing. And you can go sit there and build your auric energy up with that, and you'll start hearing the voice of God accusing you and condemning you. If you want to be built up, if you want to be empowered, if you want to be free then guess what? you got to listen to stuff that is going to build you up and is going to empower you and is going to set you free. It's not rocket science. With the measure you use, if you use an empowering measure, guess what? An empowering measure is going to come back to you. If you use a measure that brings liberty, guess what? Liberty is going to come back to you. And yeah, it may shake up your relationships because your vibrational frequency has changed, but if you'll hold the pattern, eventually you'll start attracting people that have the same vibrational frequency. Then you just, then you just gotta make sure you don't get stuck in another rut. Like, like you gotta, sometimes you gotta tear down the spiritual house you've been living in. If it stinks and it's rotten and it's full of cobwebs and it's not bearing life and, and, and you're tired of it, you need to tear down that spiritual house. (laughs) And, but, 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 but you gotta rebuild something. And so this is spiritual basics. Whatever you're feeding on, whatever you're building on, whatever you're energetically giving yourself to, whatever words and doctrines and teachings, those are the very things that the Spirit of God is gonna energize to bring fruit into your life. Listen, the same energy that creates an apple tree will also create a weed. It doesn't care. It doesn't discriminate. 
And when Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life, with the word for life there is the most basic principle of life that is shared with all, from, from vegetation on up to humanity. It's Zoe. Zoe is not this wonderful quality life of God. It, it is this wonderful quality life of God, but it's not, it, it's, it's very common. It's even in the vegetation. Even the vegetation in Greek had Zoe. So whatever you put in, God's going to energize and give life to it. And He sets you free and says, okay, now you get to choose. This is why, alright, now this is where I'll finish, but this is why one of the things that Doug posted on his, his Facebook page, you go, go watch near-death experiences. Listen to these guys' testimonies. He put three up there. He put one of a Hindu guy, one of a Jewish guy who wasn't serving God, didn't believe in God, was an atheist, but he was Jewish. And, of course, I think there was one from a Christian or an athe- some other atheist that converted to Christ. Right? So the Hindu guy dies, leaves his body, the whole thing, dies an atheist, didn't think there was anything out there. whole thing you read about when you read your other stuff, he ends up in this place of nirvana. And what, is, what does he come back thinking? The light of God and enlightenment is within you. And so he starts pursuing, through meditation, that inward light. Why? Because that was consistent with his near-death experience. But it changed him as a person. Interview the family, everything. He's completely changed as a person. He's a better person. He's a more loving person. He's no longer afraid of death. See, you thought that only happened to people who met Jesus. Because that's what you fed your energetic field on. Then there's a Jewish man, heathen, in New York... But Jewish, he dies. He experiences some sense of separation from God. He cries out to God, saying his Jewish prayers. And then he meets God. And how is God revealed to him? God's revealed to him according to the Jewish scriptures. And what does God tell him that he has to do? That he needs to keep the, you need to go back and your life mission is to keep the Torah. So he converts and becomes a rabbi and starts teaching Torah. Because of his near-death experience. The other atheist person meets Jesus. She comes back, what? As a Christian. Guys, what do you do with that? You just discount the others because it doesn't fit with your auric field? Doesn't fit with what you've been believing? Doesn't fit? So, so how is that being honest in any way, shape, or form? I'll believe the ones where they met Jesus because they told me when I was in Sunday school that everybody else is going to hell, and if I meet Jesus, then I'm going to heaven. So I'll believe those, because that fits with what I was told. Oh, wait a minute. We're back to how you charged your auric field. But that's what the preachers told me. But, but, but that's what I feel is true. But what about these other people who go to hell? Well, hey, if it's all a state of consciousness, hell could be as real as anything else. Maybe they heard scary stories. Maybe they grew up in a tradition that taught eternal conscious torment like I did, and they heard scary stories, and they weren't secure about where they were going to go when they died. And so guess what they experienced? Because the first thing you'll pass through, I believe, after death, the first you'll, you'll enter into whatever's charged into your auric field, and with the measure you use, even after death, it's going to be measured back to you. So this is a very serious thing. Hopefully that helps you understand. I need to quit. 
Hopefully that helps you understand a little bit how you could have two different camps saying two different things but still feel the presence and the energy and the power of God in both camps. Like I was doing fine because the only people I ever hung around with was spirit-filled Christians and met the presence of God in them. But then I stepped out. Sometimes, let me give you this little bit, bit of advice. Sometimes, in order to break your auric field, the power of your auric field, you have to do something taboo. You have to do something taboo. You have to do something that goes against the law of your house. Otherwise, you'll continually be governed by the law of your house. What do I mean by something taboo? Something that, oh my God, I would never do that. So for me, for me, it was going to a holistic fair and working with an energy worker and getting a card reading. Sitting down and having someone read tarot cards was really taboo. But I didn't catch a demon from it. And then I met this energy worker who, my God, the same presence of God that I felt in the Pentecostal meetings, she's carrying only a more intensified level. Wait a minute, she's from Korea. Wait a minute, she believes in past lives. Wait a minute, she followed some Hindu... But but wait a minute, but but the light and the life... God, I mean, if, if that's not the presence of God, I don't know the presence of God. And so I go through this season, I'm encountering the presence of God in people that don't believe like me. I'm encountering the presence of God, I encountered the presence of God in an in a openly practicing homosexual person. And this is before Richard Rohr wrote his book on the universal Christ. (laughs) What do you do with those experiences? Just discount them? I couldn't just discount them. It's like, wow, I stepped out and I did this. And it brought some change and some healing and some transformation. But it definitely takes some moxie to go against (laughs) your own energetic field. I didn't know anybody that believed in past lives or was from the East that served God. And she talked about a relationship with God and I'd be so hungry. I think I want a relationship. I want to know God like that. I want a relationship with God like that. I never met anybody. I just took somebody's word for it in Sunday school. They're from Avondale. They probably never left Pueblo. Serious? And I met some of these big name preachers. And they may have the lights, camera, action. But I'm going to tell you, when you get past the show business side, there is some pretty nasty stuff in that energetic field. So who needs deliverance? I'm confused. (laughs) All right. So if if you want to do this, I'd say two things. I'd say... Don't just discount something because it doesn't feel right to you when it goes contrary to everything you've been feeding on spiritually your whole life. Don't just discount it. Second thing I would say to you is start thinking about what do you want measured back to you. And whatever you want measured back to you, you need to start listening to and, and getting it down into your heart. If you want the trials of Job, go meditate on the book of Job. Well, the Bible says God will confirm His word with signs following. And there's some people that they want that. They write books about it. They like to tribulate. (sighs) 
And then the third thing I'd say is, I mean, sensibly, don't be afraid to try something that you formerly thought or currently think is taboo because you might find that when you push past that, it does something that transforms your auric field that brings you into a level of liberty and freedom that's beyond what you thought possible before. Dare I say namaste. God bless you. Have a great day.